Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast from Vital Point Church. My name is Ron. I'm the pastor here at Vital Point. We believe that it's important for people to explore and grow in their faith. And my hope, my prayer is that this message that you're listening to will draw you closer to better understanding how you can live out your faith journey in the everyday life. Sit back and enjoy. Well, hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Ron. As been already mentioned, I'm the lead pastor here at Vital Point Church, and we are a multi-site church that is passionate about starting Vital Point sites in small towns. And I want to let you know about our fourth location in Forest. It's happening in the spring of 2024, but we're doing a Christmas celebration there on December 10th. And my hope and prayer for all of us who are part of Vital Point Church already is that we will be telling people about December 10th and that we will actually even bring people with us to the celebration in Forest as we celebrate the Christmas service there. It's going to be absolutely incredible. All right, so we're in a series called Faith in the Margins, and I want to open it up with a opening statement or two, and then we're going to do a bit of review. All right, so here's my opening statement. Brace yourself. Are you ready for this? In order for faith to thrive in the margin of culture... One must be prepared to live in the tension of a polarized world. If one is unable to live in the tension, they will see encounters of the opposing thought as a boxing match, winning points to defend their position. When I look at the life of Jesus, I realize something very clearly. Jesus doesn't need us to defend him or his truth. What he wants for his followers is to reflect who he is. Now, if you don't agree with this, and maybe you disagree with this opening statement, we need to consider the night that Jesus was betrayed. On the night that he was betrayed, the opposition was coming to arrest him, and one of his disciples pulled out a sword and cut off the ear of one of the servants that was there. And Jesus turned to him and said, no, put your sword away. That is not who we are. And he took the ear and he put it back on. We live in a time where people of the way need to find ways to live in the tension without losing the storyline of Jesus. As I mentioned, we're in week three of our series, uh, Faith in the Margins. And what I want to do for us today is help us better understand what this looks like for us through a bit of review, because maybe you're newer to Vital Point Church, or maybe this is your first Sunday. We've been building around this idea that the Christian faith is no longer welcome at the seat of culture or at the table of culture. And if you were to tell somebody that you are a follower of Jesus or that you're investigating the things of Jesus or that you're part of a church, you're often starting from a negative position, not a positive position. Now, what you need to know also is that this series has been built around the letter that Peter wrote First Peter chapter 1, and we've been looking at chapter 1. An interesting side note, the disciple that cut the ear off of that servant that night that Jesus was betrayed was Peter himself. So Peter wrote this letter talking about how to live our faith out in the margins. So let me do a quick review. Week number one, we explored this truth that faith in the margin is an opportunity for the church to shine because it is a time where God uses us as exiles, which he refers to us as exiles in the land in which we live. He talks about that in First Peter chapter one, that it, from a perspective of understanding <clears throat> that there is a greater purpose at work. 
As we explored this idea of elect exiles, we began to realize that as people of faith, we're not even designed for this world. In essence, as a follower of Jesus, you must understand that in this cultural moment, it should not surprise us that we're no longer invited to the table of culture. Now, that's not to say that we're to play the victim and, oh, woe is us, because that is not what Jesus is asking us. Faith being pushed to the margin is not something that surprises God and is not unfamiliar to his people. Just read through the Old Testament and you'll see that for yourself. Now, week number two, we explore this idea that the trials we face in life have a greater purpose, that in the, in the sense of the, the margin of our lives, the trials that we faith, face actually bring about God's promises, God's purposes, God's plan. Now, if you were here last week, you know that David didn't talk about persecution per se, but I just want to mention it here briefly. Because I think there's small p persecutions in the reality of the day in which we live. Like there are big P, capital P persecutions that happen in parts of our world. There are followers of Jesus that have lost their lives as allegiance to Jesus, their commitment to him. Talk to those who have um, come to faith in Jesus out of particular religions that are not favorable to the message of Jesus. You'll discover the persecution that many of those people face. So we understand the big P persecution, but there's also small P persecution in the sense of which we live in our day and age in which we live. There's a biblical understanding of the value of human life, for example, in the womb, or the value of life at the end of life, or maybe a sexual ethic that opposes a little bit of what the world would say, or even talking about the reality of God's design for marriage as man and woman is often met with your views are unsupportive and dangerous, right? You do you is not something you would hear when you step into those moments. Often it's met with, well, you're actually the problem. You're trying to force your views and steal my freedom of true expression of myself. So we understand the complexity and the time in which we live. But Peter says to the, to the, uh, to the elect exiles, he said, it is because of your obedience to Jesus that you live in that space grounded in the truth of who Jesus is. And your obedience to him often is met with a bit of opposition, which means your faith is in the margins. And we have to find ways to figure out how to express faith from there. Because here's what I would believe, that even though the Christian faith may have lost its influence, I'm not convinced that it doesn't make a difference anymore because I believe that it can make a difference and you have to see it from a different advantage point. So what is Peter talking about for us? So let's break down the section that was read. We can break this down and get better clarity as to how to be faith in the margins. The passage that was read for us is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 19. And I want to start by looking at the first few verses. I want to re- read them again for you. It says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right away, one of the things that you see Peter doing for the elect exiles is this. How we think determines how we live in the tension of the polarized world. See, often we associate faith with our feelings, right? We 
maybe come to, uh, uh, to a church service or some sort of gathering or listen to some music and some worship and you maybe get goosebumps and you kind of feel all warm and fuzzy or, or maybe you shed a tear and, and those things are fine. I, I do those things sometimes too. But faith is often defined as the patterns of our thought. The phrase prepare your mind is a brilliant phrase. And actually in an older translation, it literally says, gird up the loins of your mind. I challenge you to use that today in a sentence later on to see if you can fit it in. Gird up the loins of your mind. In the ancient day, what would happen is that the long robes that they would wear, if they had to move somewhere quickly, or if someone were to run, which wasn't very common, or if they were to walk through a section of, 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 of the path that they were walking on that was muddy or dirty, they would gird up the loins. They would grab the bottom of it, pull it up, and tuck it into the belt or tie it off. This is the imagery that you see here. Gird up the loins of your mind is actually taking your mind away from the things that will uh, trip you up. Take your, take your mind away from the things that distract you. That's why he says, prepare your minds to take action. And then he even says, be sober-minded. So what you could say here is that there's nothing worse than a drunk guy with his loins girded up. I mean, that could be just a nasty scenario, but that's not exactly what he's saying. See, what he's saying is this. We must be prepared to live in the margins with a clear mind that is not captured by the clutter and the chaos of the world. Because when your mind is captured by the chaos and the confusion of the world, it is under the influence which you will appear unstable. When someone is intoxicated, there's this instability. They, they wander around back and forth. There's this thing that happens to that person. And he says, be sober-minded. Now, what I really like about what Peter does, and this is important for us, is that the section that I just read for you started with the word therefore. Some of you already caught that. It's an important word because it's a linking word. It links up to the teachings that we have just prior to him talking about proper thinking. And what he does is he links it back. Therefore, what he's hoping that people will get and we get is that we actually fix our thoughts on the living hope that we can rejoice in our trials because of the living hope, because of the eternal security that we have and what Jesus has offered to us. And so he says, prepare your minds, uh, be sober-minded. He says, don't be lazy, don't be complacent, don't allow your minds to fall into the weeds of being a victim and getting angry and mad at the way things are because that doesn't bring about the living hope that we have in Jesus when we live in the margins. Now, the Apostle Paul gets in on the action in one of his letters in Romans when it's talking about the mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, the world's patterns and belief are the common thoughts of the day. And what we must understand is that the conforming to the patterns of this world is actually trying to force us into a mold that is not of God's design, what is not God's best for humanity. The world is gonna force you into its cast and mold you into its image if you are not aware. 
That's why he says, be transformed by the renewing of the minds, way you think. So the way you think, captured by the living hope in Jesus and the grace that he offers to you, actually takes us to this place of understanding better how we see things around us. Let me help us let me help us better understand this. I want to help us with this. Because what happens when the world tries to force us into its mold is that it sugarcoats things by using phrases that make things sound okay. Let me give you an example of this. Hot topic of the day. Medically assisted death. Okay? We hear this phrase, medically assisted death. From a biblical understanding, we see life is in God's hands. The life that comes into being and when the life, uh, when the, when that person takes their last breath, that is in God's hands. That is not our responsibility to play God in life or death, right? Taking the life of someone else is what? Murder. Humans playing God, taking someone else's life is murder. Being conformed in the patterns of the world can be done so easily because the phrases sound good. Like, like for example, we're not going to call this the murder program. We're just not going to because that's just not cool, right? It just feels so wrong, but we'll call it medically assisted death. Now, to be clear, some of you are feeling very uncomfortable, the fact that I'm even talking about this, and that's okay. But what we must understand is that I'm not talking about when a loved one is on life support and the machines are keeping that person somewhat alive. Like those are tougher scenarios and, and families have to make those tough decisions. I would not put it in the same category. There's something that has struck me as I think about the preparation of our minds of living in the tension of a polarized world is that actually Peter takes us to this place where he says, set your hope fully on the grace it's like set it in concrete. I have this image of, of concrete being set. Something gets put in the concrete, the concrete sets, and it's secure in that. Set your hope fully in the grace. When my mind is set on the, on the hope of the grace that is offered to me, I have clarity of thought. The results of living in that space is life-giving. But when my mind is set on the chaos of the world, it's set in the wrong thing. When my, when my mind is set on the unhinged ideas of truth in our world that's trying to sell it, it's, it's the wrong place. When my mind is set in anger at the system and I get so mad, it's set in the wrong place. Why? If it's set in those things, it diminishes the hope and the grace, and it reduces our ability to be transformed in the margin. And when that begins to happen, I begin to think that it is my responsibility to fight for truth, and I lose my ability to bless others. I lose my ability to see God's heart for those who are hurting I lose my ability to be kind. I lose my ability to be hospitable to those who maybe have a different idea or a different lifestyle or a definition of truth. It takes me away from being able to be in the tension of the polarized moment. See, when I think about what Peter is saying here in this opening section, is the action for which we are to prepare for in the margin is not about defending the truth. It's about defending the hope we have in the one whose name is Jesus. He does, he talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Look what it says. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, 
always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with what? Gentleness and respect. If you are unable to live in the tension of the mar- from the margin, you will not reflect the hope you have in the grace, which means you will look no different than the world. You'll be angry, bitter, mad, hot-headed, and let's call it what it is. You'll be a jerk when it comes to these things. An angry follower of Jesus is dangerous because they think it's their right to defend truth. And Peter says, and remember, he was the one that whipped the sword out and cut the ear off and was rebuked by Jesus. He says, when you defend, it's actually defending the hope that you have and you do it with gentleness and respect. Someone has to see the hope in you before they can ask about the hope that you have. This thought hit me. Faith may not be welcome at the table of culture, but it doesn't mean that we don't have influence on Monday morning when we walk into work because we can't underestimate the presence of hope. Hope can permeate a space and change people's lives. Peter says, set your hope fully in grace, not in the news, not in social media, not in the deep dive of conspiracies, but fully in the hope that we have in Jesus. What you think determines the way you live, which leads us to the next section, verses 14, 15, and 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, this is great, you also be holy in your conduct since it is written, you shall, be, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Right thinking leads to right living, but we must understand that it comes from a place of holiness. Let's talk about this for a minute. We are to be holy because God is holy. When you need, what you need to know about this is that God is not acting holy. He's actually out of his nature being holy which means he is set apart, which means he is set apart and is like nothing else in this world. There is no evil in him. There is no sin in him. It is the purity of holiness in God. But another word for holy is this, devoted, devoted to. God is fully devoted to himself as the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is a devotion within himself. Now, We are to be holy as he is holy. This means then that our lives are to be wholly devoted to God, set apart from our new nature in Christ. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, your old nature is pulling you away from the things of God and his best for you in your life. But if you're a follower of Jesus, your holiness actually permeates from this new nature that you're living from, which is found in Christ. Christ is being formed in you. Holy living then becomes a journey where we live set apart to God and set apart for his glory, devoted to him. It's evident in our conduct. Now, our conduct doesn't make us holy. It is the inward renewal of the nature that Christ has given to us. You can see a religious person who has all the outward religious things in place, but inwardly they can be like an empty tomb. They can be dead because they're not necessarily living out of the new nature that God has given to them. 
Think of it this way. Culture would like to tell you what your identity is, right? There's a big push right now. We all feel it, see it. doesn't matter if you're church, unchurched. There's this thing about identity that is out there. It's the big driver. And the big driver of identity is what? Your sexuality. We see it all the time. It's another hot issue of our day. Gender fluidity, human sexuality, it becomes your identity. So people would say, you're gay, you're straight, you're transgender, or whatever we see now. Culture tells you that nobody can tell you what you are because it is your truth. It is your identity. What fails to be acknowledged in the conversation around this from a point of identity and sexuality is that all of us, as a result of sin, every single one of us, all of us, am I clear on this? All of us, sin has damaged our sexuality. It all of us, is out of God's original design. It's out of alignment. If you've ever seen a car driving down the road that looks kind of off kilter, it's because it's out of alignment or the frame is twisted. We are all broken human beings as a result of sin. So what is very important to the conversation in holiness is that we're called to holiness. We're called to be devoted in all aspects of our lives, living out of this new nature that Christ has given to us and that we are to reflect that new nature in our holiness, which means we are devoted to God. This is why you'll hear me say a lot is that the pursuit of happiness is dangerous. That if I put happiness or pleasure as the highest priority in my life, we're living in the danger zone. And not that I, it's not that I don't want you to be happy, okay? Let's just call that. I mean, I like being happy. You like being happy. There's things that are pleasurable in life. We get it. We are designed for those things. But what happens is we live with this false narrative. Well, I just want to be happy or I just want my kids to be happy. What we fail to realize is that happiness can get in the way of holiness. Holiness is lived out of our new identity in Christ, which means I sacrifice or I put to death, I shouldn't say sacrifice, I put to death my desires and my passions that are broken and I surrender them to to, to God. Like look what he says in 1 Peter 1.14. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. There it is again. It's that conformed. It's that pushing you into a mold. The world will push you into a mold that is opposite to what God's best for you is, and even our own passions that are disordered because of sin. Margin dwellers are called to be holy because we are set apart for Jesus from the patterns of our of the world, that we live in alignment with God's design for us. It takes our whole lives and gives it to him. Like, listen, there was, um, this week I was, uh, I was at a London Christian high school and I had the privilege as a pastor, as a church leader to sit in this environment and have breakfast. And there was a panel of students and it was so amazing. One of the kids, um, in that panel is part of our church, our Clinton location. Her name's Maddie. And she had said something very interesting as she was talking to us as church leaders. She had said, the world is trying to force us into identity that is not God's best for us. And she said, we just need to be taught how to be formed in our identity in Christ, which is the true place of freedom in our lives. I was in the back of the room. I wanted to put my hand up saying, come to this church on Sunday because that's what I'm going to be talking about. See, holiness is formed in us when we allow the formed identity in Christ to be the driving influence in our lives. As God is fully devoted to himself, 
as three in one, we are to live from that place as well. Now, to be clear, I'm not talking about being holier than thou. Some of you know what I'm talking about. We're not talking about that. Looking down your nose at people. No, it's by grace that we find ourselves in this moment to live from that holiness, exemplifying the living hope in Christ. Now, let's press on because we've got to land this. Next few verses. Let me read it for you. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like the lamb without blemish or spot. Now it gets even heavier. We go from preparing your mind to holiness, and now he says, conduct yourself with fear. Fear. Interesting word. What we must understand about what Peter is doing here is this. Peter is helping us understand that one day we will all stand before the holy judge and stand and give an account for our lives. The conduct of our lives in the margin, we will give an account for. Look what John Thompson says in his book, Perseverance. Jesus return and the anticipation of facing him is one of the most important factors in living a holy life. If you don't live like he's coming back, you will be lulled into compromise. See, I think sometimes, I believe, I believe sometimes that we as followers of Jesus, living in the margin, forget this truth. And I'm not talking about Jesus' return to get us out of here and, uh, you know, make all, that's, I'm, I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is the reality of one day standing before the holy judge who is just and holy. And we will be fully known in that moment, but yet we will be fully loved because here's what I want you to hear. This is not a pass or fail to get into the new heaven or the new earth. <laughs> it's not. Jesus took care of that. That's why he talks about ransomed with the blood of Jesus Christ. Like Jesus will stand beside you and he will say, this one's mine. But we must understand that one day we will give an account for our lives as exiles living in a land that is not designed for us. So, if you're a faith-formed Jesus follower, I ask this one question. When you stand before the Holy Judge one day, what will you give an account for? Will you have to stand there and say, I defended the truth and I did my part? Or will you stand there and say, with the best of my ability, God, I tried to reflect Jesus in my life. I wanted to reflect who he is as a new creation found in him. See, faith in the margin is not about losing a spot at the table of culture. It's about learning to live from a different place, keeping the long arc of influence in view. When there is a strong, resilient faith in the margins, you will notice it's marked by a mind that is ready and prepared to give a defense for the hope that is found in us. You'll find a holiness that is attractive and a fear that is grounded in knowing that one day we will stand before God. But even more, it's understanding how to stand in the tension, 
the uncomfortable tension of the polarized world because I am absolutely convinced that it's in that space where many people will meet Jesus. Faith in the margin is not about retreating and falling back and waiting for Jesus to return. It's actually learning to be the church, to find our role in bringing hope and healing to a broken world. That as we step into these moments, that we can bring truth, that we can be hospitable, that we can pray, that we can find the eyes and the ears and the heart of Jesus as he sees others around him. As we close, will you examine your life and ask, is my life aligned with the way of Jesus and the teachings of Peter the one who was in that moment when he cut off that guy's ear and Jesus is like, you don't need to defend me. You need to reflect me. Would you look at your life and realize that there is people around you right now that are hurting, that are broken, that are lost in the chaos of their own lives and in the tension in that moment of tension within the polarized world with all the chaos and the confusion that you have a living hope. At break this week at your workplace, when you go to get your coffee, is it possible that someone may look at you and they may say, what's different about you? What is this thing that you have in your life? Because you seem to have a peace. You seem to have a hope. You seem to have a way of living. Will you be able to defend your hope with respect and gentleness and wisdom and boldness? May we know that Jesus shines best through our weakness and through our brokenness as we strive to follow him, to be holy as he is holy, and to walk in fear of knowing that one day we will stand before him and give an account for our lives.